Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, where we take our live show from USF Bulls Radio and publish it for you as a podcast for you to listen to at your convenience. So whether you're sitting at home, driving in a car, or you somehow stumbled upon this and you don't know where you're at, you're going to listen to Anthro Alert, and it's about anthropology and it's super cool. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey Bulls, how's it going? It's Friday the 6th. You're listening to Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. So it's Friday afternoon at 3. That, uh, that means you're listening to Anthro Alert. Uh, so Anthro Alert is a show about anthropology and simply why it matters. Each week we'll discuss how anthropology is relevant and over time we'll feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology and other departments in USF to discuss their research and have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events. So we believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists and anthropology students to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. So just like every week, we like to preface our show with a disclaimer that the statements and the opinions that we make on AnthroAlert, uh, any of our guests, so these are our own opinions and may not necessarily represent anthropology as a discipline, USF Anthropology Department, USF as an institution, or USF student government. Uh, so our listeners may remember um, on a previous episode that Dr. Bear was here with us talking about her work um, with refugees in the Tampa Bay area. Well, Dr. Bear is actually here with us again today, and she brought a colleague, Dr. Jason Wilson, and he's the research director of uh, emergency medicine at USF Health. So Dr. Wilson was a graduate from USF with a BA in anthropology, and he received an MA in anthropology from the University of Michigan. So today we'll be speaking with Dr. Bear and Dr. Wilson about their co-taught course here for pre-med students, Research Experience and Patient-Provider Interaction. So thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Yep. And, and thank so you for being here. Yeah. So as always, I'm Spencer, and I'm sitting here with, with Renee. Hi, everybody. All right. So we're just going to hop right into the conversation with Dr. Wilson and Dr. Bear. Um, so first... Let us um, kind of get this out of the way. Can, can you guys just explain to us what is medical anthropology and what are you trying to look at as a medical anthropologist? Well, medical anthropology looks at the relationship between health, or health culture and illness. And it turns out that health and illness are not just um, givens out there, but they are defined culturally. And the definitions of health and uh, illness vary from culture to culture. From one culture to the next, you'll have different definitions of what is health, what are the symptoms of particular health conditions, and what are culturally appropriate treatments for those conditions. Okay, great. So that'll give a good foundation for our listeners that may not be familiar with applied anthropology. So everyone keep that in mind as we go through and, and talk about um, you know, the main subject of our topic today, which is the co-taught course in, in culture and medicine. So now let's uh, let's focus our conversation on just that the the course that you guys teach together. So first, let's discuss sort of what was the inception of the course. How did you two initially pair up to to teach the course, and you know what was the motivation behind behind teaching this course? Sure. So I, I think it was coffee at the Independent was the the birth of the course, right? It was a, it was a conversation over coffee, and um, it was a reconnection between me and uh, Robbie um, a few years back where I had um, 
taken, you know, I had majored in anthropology here, gone off and done some uh, graduate work in anthropology at Michigan, got my MA, then come back to Tampa, gone through medical school and residency, so sort of disappeared from the world, you know, of anthropology for a while while I hunkered down and, and did all of that. And then got comfortable in my career and sort of said, man, I really m wanted to use my anthropological framework for something, really missed this part of uh, who I am and reached out or who one of us reached out to some one of us. And um, we grabbed some coffee and started sort of talking about um, what that framework would could look like in a, in a medical setting. And um, from my, you know, I think we both have slightly different motivations for why we want to do the class and what the class means to us. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that. My main motivation was that when I thought about my time at Michigan, which is when I decided to go to medical school, I was in my mid-20s and um, didn't really have um, any real anchor or place to go to get all these things that were required of you to be a physician, which um, you know every pre-med student out there knows they have to go and do something called shadowing. They have to go get some research. They have to volunteer. And what those things mean um, is not very well defined. And how you go about doing that or what the meaning or value of that is to you is not very well defined. And so I remember telling Robbie that I think it would be awesome if we could find a way to put that in an anthropological framework, bring students in and give them an opportunity to get shadowing, research, and volunteer experience in an emergency medicine environment. I think my motivation uh, was a little bit different from that. Um, we talk about differences in culture in medicine, and one of the big differences is between the patient perspective, the lay perspective, and that of the physician. There is a distinct culture of biomedicine, and patients often don't get it, and we find a great deal of noncompliance and problems in following through and dealing with illness in the biomedical setting because patients don't get what the physicians are telling them to do. My Starting with that perspective then, my motivation was to build better doctors, to train better doctors who would be aware of the fact that patients have a different perspective and be able to understand better how to cross from the physician perspective back to the lay perspective to translate things back so that lay people could understand them, they could follow the instructions they're given, and ultimately have better health. So you... Um, so you're targeting specifically med students here at USF, um, like what Dr. Wilson said, to get them research and, and shadowing experience. Um, but you're, you're focusing on specifically like what Dr. Bear said, the physician-patient encounter and, you know, what that means um, as a medical anthropologist. But this topic is actually really, um, you know, it's been fairly researched among med medical anthropologists. Um, so I was wondering if, if you guys could comment about, you know, what is what is the current state um, within medical education about uh, learning about the, the patient and physician encounter and sort of what is the perspective that students are taught in, in medical school uh, about that interaction? Yeah, so I think that's a great, a great question. So, um, you know, it's pre-medical students that we target. And um, part of this idea is to bring them in and give them a really defined experience of what shadowing could be or what it can be. Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about shadowing from the medical school application standpoint, the committee standpoint, what we're looking for kind of traditionally is, did this person spend enough time around doctors, patients, hospitals, physician offices to understand what they're getting into? Um, but at the 
same time, what ends up happening is it's sort of an aimless experience a lot of times. And so you come in, you spend some time running around behind a doctor trying to keep up, who probably has such a big team, they may not even know who you are or what your name is. And then you end up going to medical school and kind of on the side somewhere thrown in there, there's this concept of, hey, patients are important too. And they're having, you're having an experience. The physicians and staff are having an experience, but they're actually having probably the weirdest experience of everybody and the most impactful experience of everybody. So um, maybe you should look at that too. But that's about all the attention that gets. And it's usually kind of a sidebar in the medical curriculum, I would say. Uh, what has really changed this paradigm, and I would say even what is more important to me now, honestly, with this class, and even what I had said was my original impetus of doing it, is the concept of now focusing on patient experiences um, as a as a real thing in medicine. It has reimbursement implications. Um, it's something we spend a lot of time talking about at our hospital and with every physician group is how do we improve the patient experience. Unfortunately, like most things in life, that's because there's reimbursement tied to it, and things don't change until that happens. But the, mm-hmm. um, the Affordable Care Act and the triple aim, which um, includes this idea of patient experience, is what really changed our thinking about really improving that. So how can you improve patient experience if you don't understand what the patient goes through? Um, by the time a, uh, a student gets to residency or becomes where I'm at, it's probably too late to really make an impact of how you think about that empathy or that experience if you haven't been thinking about it all the way throughout your development. And I think that's what Robbie's probably early impetus of this was, was to kind of build that framework in to people um, very early on in their training to kind of always have that perspective of thinking about the patient experience. And so we actually have our students shadow patients for that reason. Yeah, and I think the important thing is to build this in on an experiential level so it'll stick with the students. We have some students from our first class who are in medical school now. We don't know if this will last med school, internship, residency, out into practice, but it's one thing to read about this stuff. It's another very different thing to experience it. So we have them shadow physicians and write anthropological field notes on their experiences, but we also have them shadow patients. They are required to sit there with a patient from the time they come into the ER until the time they're discharged. And their responses are really fascinating. They talk about how, oh, shadowing the doctor was amazing. It was so quick. It was so interesting. It was so fascinating, intellectually stimulating. And then when I was with the patient, nothing happened. Somebody comes in, takes your blood. Nothing happens. You sit in this freezing room alone for another 40 minutes. Somebody else comes in, takes another sample. You try to ask some questions, and they're gone. You know? They hated patient shadowing, but they told us it was the best experience of the entire class. I think that's going to stick with them, or at least I hope so. By the responses we get on the essays, it's going to. Because whenever you see a response that says, this made me uncomfortable, I hated this, I got so much out of this. this was the best experience. I mean, this is this taught me more than anything else. That's exactly what you're looking for. Um, and if you can keep them there throughout their entire education career, that's that's my goal as an educator, right? Um, knowledge based uncomfortableness. So when you guys were um, forming this class, so you have students, uh, shadow physicians, shadow patients. How did you go about making connections or making it easy for students to connect with? the doctors and, co- and connect with patients in order to, to do these assignments? Sure. Um, so doctors are used to this, right? And this is part of our oath of being a doctor that we are supposed to train the next group. So even even a community physician usually is attuned to the fact that at some point they need to let uh, 
interested person come shadow them or spend some time with them and, and start to train the if you go way back you know to um, you know the Greek model and all that it, it's a very apprentice based system and so there's this idea that you're in the you know the brotherhood or the sisterhood uh, now you know more even more so than the brotherhood now um, but you're in you're in and then um, you should start to train the next group of those people yourself so um, it's intuitive in some ways uh, then in our group it was it worked really well because we have essentially an academic group of emergency medicine docs who um, we have students medical students there all the time we have residents there all the time we always have learners um, in place and so it wasn't hard to uh, you know come up with a a, a new group of learners to you know, fit into the system um, I do a, a lot of research and some of it's kind of odd novel research so you know it gets lumped into this is one of Wilson's weird projects and uh, it, it, it just flows after a while was it hard to connect with patients however Patients actually have to sign something when they come into Tampa General that they understand it's a teaching hospital and okay. that students of various levels will be talking to them. Okay. Now we have our students go through a sort of brief little informed consent. Mm -hmm. I'm an undergraduate at USF. I'm doing this project for a class. Would you talk to me? Um, we have had very, very few people turn us down. Now remember, this is the ER. People are really sick. They're really hurting. Um, people who are trauma patients or very, very serious, we obviously don't talk to. Sure. But just the next level down, we do talk to, and um, they're usually more than willing to chat with our students. Yeah, if you, if you get down to it, a lot of... So I work clinically, I work nights, and even if you don't work nights, if you get down to one of the biggest risk factors for coming to the emergency department is loneliness. Mm. Um, and that might be why you actually have a medical condition, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't take your heart failure medicines because you're sad and lonely, or you don't take your what, care of yourself because you're sad and lonely. So there's a lot of lonely people who want to talk to somebody. Um, and sometimes, honestly, probably the best thing we do in the emergency department is we're nice to people, we talk to them, we give them blankets, we give them socks, we feed them. Um, and so to have a young, engaged, passionate person who wants to sit with them for hours mm -hmm. most of our patients love that idea and look we have 250 patients a day so if they walk into a room and it ain't happening just come out and find a new person not a big mm -hmm. deal we don't force it great so i think we're going to pause the conversation here and we're going to take a short music break and then when we come back we're going to dive more into the student experience at the end of the course hey bulls you're listening to anthro alert on bulls radio wusf 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. If it's your first time listening in today, we're interested to know how you heard about our show. Uh, was it Twitter, Facebook? Um, somebody emailed this to you, and you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. So we, we'd, like to, uh, we'd like for you to connect with us. You can, you can find us on AnthroAlert.com. Now, today we're having a discussion about medical anthropology, um, looking where our guests are, our first returning guest, Dr. Bear from uh, here at the University of South Florida, and also Dr. Wilson. So let's uh, let's resume the conversation. Yeah, so we were having a pretty interesting conversation uh, off the air, talking about um, you know students um, looking to get into this class, and so I just wanted to have Dr. Bear and Dr. Wilson kind of share uh, on air what they what they were telling us about the process of. <laughs> of starting this class and you know now having students having to apply for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, um, we didn't expect that. So uh, that was we weren't trying to create a competitive entry class. Um, had no idea this is going to be such a popular class when we started this. Uh, you were we're in, obviously in a hospital setting, and um, we do about half the classes in the classroom, about half the classes in the hospital, and then students spend time that they arrange to come into the hospital. So it's it makes the class a bit um, limited in terms of number of people we can take. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when we first started teaching, we kind of looked at what numbers do we need to make it work and all of that. And we can do up with 12, is that mm-hmm. right, the first year? And so we put a flyer out and, you know, made a little PDF that got blasted out. And, you know, we thought maybe we'll get 12 people who want to take the class and uh, we'll, we'll see what we get. And um, I think we got about 100 emails back. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah. So all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, um, this looks like a med school application at this point. And I didn't know that was going to happen, but we should probably meet and start going through these. And we kind of post talk went through, started having to go through the emails and come up with some kind of criteria and, um, you know, try to find a way to let students in. What, what were some of the criteria that you did end up coming up with? And how do you sort of evaluate students to be ready and prepared to take this type of course? We have a couple of criteria. Um, Our explicit goal is to change medicine Mm -hmm. and to change uh, doctors. Mm -hmm. So we want people who are likely to become doctors. Mm -hmm. So a high GPA is pretty critical, a desire to become a physician. Mm -hmm. That's important also. But we also want people who are open to the perspectives. And we give them a lot of very basic medical anthropology, a lot of really basic qualitative methods. So we want people who are open to that. So people who have taken an anthropology course also, that's an important criteria that we look at. Mm -hmm. We do the program in conjunction with honors. So most of the students in honors, not all. There's usually between three, five, seven who are not honors students. And that's not, you know, a critical kind of thing. I think those are the main criteria that we look at. Yeah, you know, we, we incorporated an essay last year, I think, into this, and um, we um, use that to kind of help us just get a sense of better sense of who a person is uh, beyond the numbers, um, and that, that does help a little bit. But the, I think those are the main things. There's no, you know, there's no, it's not as, you know, cutthroat as medical school or anything. You know, one's getting screened out. You know, we're trying to look at, you know, who these people are. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, at the end of the day, we only have so many spots and so much room. So right. we have to come up with something. Right. Uh, are these typically um, upperclassmen or? So we have not specifically said that you cannot apply as a freshman. Um, I think we've actually had a freshman or two in the class. Yes. Um, now, they have told us um, that they felt that it was very over. It was a lot. It was, um, as a freshman, a bit overwhelming. Um, so, you know, both because of the fact that you have other opportunities to take the class later um, mm-hmm. and just also some maturity issues and also just what we've heard from the freshmen who've taken the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, the freshmen actually did very well that we've had before. But just taking all that into account, um, we do tend to, if all things are equal, probably give preference to the upperclassmen over okay. the freshmen. So we'd, we'd like to get into um, more of the, the student reactions to this course, and I think you guys have brought in some some quotes of uh, some experiences that students have had. So, uh, Dr. Bear, could you share some, of the, share some of those with us? Yeah, we asked the students to do a reflection paper where they basically have to think about their experiences. Now, remember, these kids are spending hours and hours a week in the ER. They get to observe trauma cases, sit there with patients. Um, So here's one of a comment from one of the reflection papers. Never could I have imagined what this class would teach me about medicine and myself. 
Unlike other classes where reading materials assigned and discussed, the reading and discussion were different and more enlightening in this class because I was able to see and apply what articles, films, and lectures taught me related to my experience in the ER. Despite dreading the four-hour patient shadowing assignments and syllabus day, looking back, it was probably my favorite assignment of the class. Mainly, the patients taught me that their health wasn't something separate from their lives. Their health was something that affected them every day and really influenced the person they had come to be and how the interactions they would have in the ER would impact their coming days and weeks. Another one from another student. I learned most importantly not to lose sight of how much of an impact you can have as a physician on a patient's life, both for the good and the bad. For the doctor, curing the disease is the goal, while for the patient it isn't just the biological side that matters to their health. It's how their disease will affect their daily life and whether they can afford to be sick. Those are some really in- insightful quotes. Do you, uh, does it seem like uh, every student that comes and, and completes this class has sort of some sort of epiphany like that or really reflects upon sort of, I guess, their potential as a physician? Or have you had, had any students that complete the course and were like, maybe I'm not cut out to be a physician? Yep. I, I think by the end of this class, you know if it's for you or not. Um, and we, we have. We've had, I can think of one young woman specifically who said, that's not for me. Um, I'm, I'm learning something different now. And that's totally fine. She did yeah. fine in the class. She did great in the class. Um, but her experience gave her a very different um, result. It's better to find out now than in med school. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, so uh, um, I think we, we had talked about this a little bit earlier. I think Dr. Barrett alluded to it that, you know, you want these experiences to you can't necessarily guarantee that they're going to follow them throughout their career. But what are some ways that you guys think or could recommend to ensure that these lessons or these insights don't get lost or dulled throughout, you know, medical school or, you know, like you said, you stepped away from anthropology for a while and you're sort of buried in in medicine for a while. So sure. But at the same time, you know, it's interesting because the the framework I had didn't go away. Right. And so I still came back to it. I still incorporated into my in my life all the time. And Mm so um, I think part of our kind of hypothesis about this class is that early exposure to this way of thinking is going to essentially color the lens of the rest of your medical training. Now, having said that, I I think there is, is certainly room for how we can think about incorporating some of these same types of longitudinal training programs and education programs into the actual medical school curriculums, right. residency curriculums, right. and you know, kind of thinking about this longitudinally. And I think as the interest in patient experience as a hospital concept continues to grow, there may be room for that in the medical curriculum as we move forward. So what I'm just curious, what sort of um, a social science perspective or, you know, there's obviously not anthropological courses in medical school that I'm aware of at least. So what sort of, um, you know, uh, social science perspective do you guys get, if any? Um, so I'll answer it as an actual, you know, person with the medical school, and I'll let you answer kind of more what's out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was in medical school, there's essentially, and I'm sure, you know, probably every medical school has some kind of cultural awareness type of class, mm-hmm. um, cultural sensitivity training type cultural of thing. competency. Competency, that, right. That that's probably of, the, yeah. the buzzword that they use. And so ours is taught by um, a very smart woman, um, uh, Lois Nixon. So some of you listening, I'm sure, know her because she's uh, active at the university. But, um, you know, she's, she's not an anthropologist. She's an art historian. And, uh, you know, so the idea was that exposure to some arts and humanities um, would lead to a window into some a view of another culture a bit. Sure. 
And so that would mean that essentially a couple of hours a week during the first and second year, you know, you might watch a movie, read a book, see a play, go to an art museum, um, watch a video about refugees. Um, but mm -hmm. um, in terms of a theoretical framework for what that goal was, I think was lacking. And mm -hmm. so the likelihood of there being an impact culturally on students who go through that versus like, you know, artistically, for mm -hmm. example, I, I think is probably unlikely. Right. Yeah, a number of medical schools have one course like that. It's, you know, there's not much time allotted for that. There's important things like biochemistry and, and other kinds of things. Um, I think the most important takeaway from what we're doing is the patient shadowing. Mm. And I mm -hmm. believe that probably every medical student and intern and resident should have to do patient shadowing. I think every physician should have to do patient shadowing every now and then. Mm -hmm. Just sit there and talk to patients in their own waiting room. Um, certainly some of the experiences that I've had as a patient are amazing. And when I tell the doctor, hey, you know, you should tell your patients A, B, C, and D, it would really make a difference. Oh, gee, well, yeah, we never thought about that. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's not their job to think about it. It's mine. I'm an anthropologist. I'm sometimes a patient. But um, I think this is really just sort of reinforces again the importance of, wait a minute, who are we doing this for and to and with? And how can mm -hmm. we be sure that it's really successful for the other person, the other participant yeah. in this encounter? Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, it's funny because I... I tried to get the students to watch this uh, movie called The Doctor, and we might just clip it to the scene maybe this year. That's mm -hmm. what I was thinking. But it's really because there's one very powerful scene, so um, the students made fun of me for making them watch it because it's an older movie now, and uh, I guess the acting is not super great. But um, the um, so there's no it. explosions. There's no <laughs> explosions, right? <laughs> um, but. Uh, the um, there's one just really really good scene in there where the the head surgeon in the movie the protagonist of the the movie um, he's diagnosed with cancer he goes through a medical experience with his cancer and then he comes basically back to work the first day and so this new group of interns is in and um, you know he basically and this is you know a top surgeon big academic right these are you know to be with him these are very good residents they had to have gone through a very competitive process to even be with this guy um, and you know he tells he hands them out you know gowns and tells them to go in the room and get undressed and that they're going to go through a patient experience and uh you know they look just incredulous this is happening and don't believe him for a few minutes and you know then you see them all sitting in their rooms and their gowns and uh you know looking very awkward and of course this is tv and uh the 80s and so you can't do this anymore but they actually go through and they get blood drawn and they go and get radi radiology and get an x-ray we probably can't do that to the kids anymore but the, the experience of watching this is exactly i don't think that's changed i, I don't i don't think there's any, if you did that right now it would be the same exact reaction if i walked in and told my residents to get in a gown and uh go sit in the room for the shift and see how that goes it would be exactly the same now so i know one of the to get to get back to some of these things, one of the reasons you guys said you stick with pre-med students is because you wanted to get these students early before they start their career and sort of start to form their, get their foundation or their theoretical paradigms and start to kind of formulate their thought processes. But do you think a course um, like you guys are teaching now, if you would, did it with medical students, do you think it would have the same impact as students that haven't entered medicine yet? It depends on what the overall context of leadership was like okay. in their, with their faculty. Um, and I, I, I think my answer now is probably different than it was three or four years ago uh, because I think the awareness of at least 
having the patient that the patient has an experience right i think what dr bear just got at was that we're still in a place where people don't even comprehend that the patient's having an experience um but i think now that's shifting and so if people are struggling to figure out a way to meet that and the and the school recognizes that then there may be some play there um but if it's just these weird people coming in and doing a class and no one else echoes that message then it, it'll it'll die out because me medical school is all about enculturation right into mm -hmm. what it's like to be a doctor right. and if your other leaders and mentors aren't showing you that same and modeling that same behavior and re-emphasizing the same messages then it just kind of dies out mm. right so before we go to another music break, I would just like uh, both of you to comment on um, how do you think, uh, besides doing courses like this with pre-med uh, pre students and, and sort of trying to get an anthropological perspective in them before they go into their medical careers, you know, how else do you think we can sneak in or kind of find a way to implement an anthropological perspective into the medical discipline? Are, th are there other ways you think we can, yeah. we can try to do that, Dr. Berry, Dr. Wilson, both? So patient experience is not the only um, thing on the table that we can put in an anthropological framework. So I have a couple of um, students right now, either Robbie students or other students in the anthro department um, that are working in our um, department. And the perspective that they're bringing to us, I think is very valuable, not just in terms of patient experience, but we have, we have um, uh, Heather Henderson working on opioid addiction right now, which is a very important to topic. CG's working on interpretation um, and which modes of interpretation for patients make the most sense, whether it's video or phone and whether that makes it impact on patient care. Uh, so I, I think as we start to move forward, thinking what is the anthropologist's role in all the things we do in the emergency department or in medicine um, is still very much on the table. I think having anthropologists involved moves you from the simplistic little box of cultural competency into what's seeing what a qualitative perspective and a cross-cultural perspective can bring to um, studies uh, in a medical setting and developing solutions to problems that you see. Mm -hmm. That's a great, can I, if I have time, there's yeah. a, great, a great example Go of ahead. this, I think. So Carlos was one of the students who took our class last spring, stayed with me for the summer, and now is doing uh, work with me on sickle cell disease. And so we see a lot of sickle cell patients at our hospital. We, um, we struggle with those patients because they have um, a lot of expectations for pain management. and. Um, we implemented a medical process, a medical intervention about a year and a half ago that really did improve how we dealt with those patients um, for their pain management. We improved our uh, discharge rates, we improved their pain scores, but we recognized the perception those patients had of what we were doing did not match what we were seeing in the numbers. So Carlos has spent time qualitatively looking th at this, talking to the patients, which we have not done at all, right? We implement the policy, mm -hmm. talking to the people, the, the primary doctors who treat sickle cell, and I think that's really helped us kind of close that gap of what was missing in terms of that intervention. Mm -hmm. So just before we go to a music break, sorry, we're <laughs> having, I have another question. So do you think um, that um, do anthropologists need to be to also be physicians like uh, the position that you're in right now or is there other ways in which anthropologists can contribute in the medical setting as far as like being directly in a hospital or maybe a research facility or so something like that? No, I think it actually works best um, when you have somebody who is, uh, so it's great if you have my framework, right? right. And you have um, that ability to kind of ask them those questions. But my primary 
the primary thing I do is take care of patients, mm -hmm. right? And right. Um, so my focus when I go to work is different than when mm -hmm. an anthropologist goes to work, right? That's my true. focus yeah. has to be on, you know, the diagnostic treatment plan, a differential, and, sure. um, you know, I, I have some interest in those questions, but it can't be my everyday focus. I think right. the, the uh, benefit of bringing a true, a real anthropologist into the department is that, that they see the whole world differently, right. and they can offer that to, to, um, to us as physicians. Great. So our projects work best when we tag um, a grad student or a faculty anthropologist with one of our residents or one of our you know clinical faculty. Those are great projects when that mm. happens. Dr. Baird, do you want to comment? I just want to talk about the project that the class did last year. The class always does a research project. So based on the first year, the second year students did a little bit more of uh, um, just basically qualitative interviewing with patients in the ER and understanding what the gaps were in expectations between the physicians and the patients. And our students produced a leaflet which tried to address the places where the patients were not understanding what was about to happen to them in the ER, misconceptions, ideas about waiting times, how long certain tests take. They tell you you're going to have a CAT scan. This is how long they are telling you that you're going to be waiting. The students developed a leaflet, uh, wrote it at a low reading level, it was very colorful, and we piloted it in the ER, went through a couple of revisions, and we're hoping to come up with a final revision that one of our um, students who's doing an honors thesis now is going to be finalizing, and we will have created an anthropologically-based intervention to improve the functioning of the ER, both for the patients and for the physicians, because you know, if the patient doesn't have the experience they thought they were going to have, it reflects badly on the physicians through no fault of the physicians. Mm. Great. So I think we're actually going to go into a music break now, and then we'll come back and, and wrap up our discussion. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Anthro Alert on WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa. You're listening to Bulls Radio, always streaming on TuneIn.com or on the TuneIn app. Uh, so we're talking with Dr. Baer and Dr. Wilson, looking at medical anthropology and how the anthropologist fits into the emergency department. So uh, let's let's rejoin the conversation. Right. So uh, Dr. Wilson and Dr. Baer were commenting on some ways in which anthropologists can can contribute and, and play a role in you know not only emergency medicine but also just in the in the uh, medical setting in general. So I was, I was wondering, if uh, is there going to be future opportunities specifically for some of the anthropology grad students, perhaps like maybe offering some funding for, for PhD students or MA students to come and, and help you conduct some of this, this research or, you know, answer some of these questions? Yeah, um, we had our very first year, we had one anthro grad student who took the class. Uh, and this year we opened up the class and advertised it and made space for four anthro grad students. We only got one who is interested, but we are always interested in opportunities for anthro grad students. I think this whole field of patient experience, which are paid jobs in hospital, is one that anthropologists could easily move into. I mm -hmm. think we are sort of, you know, pre-adapted to have those kinds of positions in the hospital setting. So um, I would encourage students, uh, the application comes out every year, September 1st, uh, mm -hmm. to uh, apply and uh, think about taking the class and exploring the kinds of research and also career positions that are available in mm -hmm. a hospital setting. 
So before we, we wrap up the show for this week, I just wanted to um, have a question directed to Dr. Wilson. How do you, you know, how do you think your medical colleagues view your additional, your additional training as an anthropologist? Do they see it as a benefit? And sort of, you know, how do you see yourself, um, how do you fit intellectually within, within that space? Sure. Uh, so it's, a, it's an evolving um, uh kind of a comprehension of what it is that I do, I think, um, which yeah, I'm used to, so that that's fine. Um, but I, I think it's not that the, the pure integration of what anthropologists do or why I'm interested in doing these projects, I don't think has been entirely clear to clinical providers up until very recently. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, opi the opioids are such a great example. Um, you've got a disease state that has a clear medical tie-in, which is for young people, hepatitis C. Mm -hmm. um, and we bang our head trying to figure out what to do with these folks and how to how to help them and sure. how to you know provide care for them. Um, and it's really something that requires interplay of something like anthropology and does right. to build out these networks and understand that culture. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think the sickle cell data really helped a bit. I think the class data obviously is helping. You know, if you look at patient experience and it's something we every physician right now is is some tie of their payment to uh, their their satisfaction scores okay um, and there's only so much in our box that we can improve that experience doing we can we can do the same thing we do and we can do it better and we can do the best we can possibly do but we can't do something different to get the score up more sure. right and right. make that experience better that's what somebody else has to think about differently and bring in right so I think that part is finally being recognized and now I think it's just up to anthropology to demonstrate what that value add is you mm -hmm. know if you look like Robbie mentioned hospital jobs a lot of those jobs for patient experience and patient quality um, and satisfaction uh, that whole world are filled by you know folks that um, that no one no one else is taking those jobs okay right. um, if you had a medical anthropologist who clearly had a paradigm and clearly had value to add I, it's right for those the, the, for those folks and it would demonstrate what that value is hmm. great um, so Renee, do you have anything to add? I think we uh, it's about time to wrap up the show for this week. Yeah, how about we'll uh, take a quick music break and come back and we'll we'll close the show out. Okay. All right. Hey, Bulls, you're back listening to Anthro Alert. We're going to wrap up the show this week um, talking to Dr. Bear and Dr. Wilson. So I just want to take the take the time or take this opportunity to, to thank Dr. Wilson, Dr. Bear for coming out, Dr. Bear coming back, but also Dr. Wilson carving some time out of his busy schedule to, to sit here with us on Anthro Alert. Um, so, Dr. Wilson, do you have any any final thoughts or you know lessons learned throughout this journey or anything that you'd like to just um, you know what's a takeaway I guess sure. that you'd like our listeners to have? Well, for this you know week? when I when I started this, I really looked at it as like an opportunity for students to get um, exposure uh, to medicine, which is still an important part of this, but it's gone in in so many different directions. They've been just awesome to see, um, and the integration with our department and with anthropology has been just really cool to watch and mm -hmm. how that's grown has been really fun so um, I, I think the big takeaway here is not only is the class continuing to grow and move um, but the opportunities that we have uh, for grad students who are interested for uh, faculty that are interested in collaborating on projects um, in, in, in really a lot of space is uh, is really I think the future um, now that we now that the, the door is open right um, the the doors open people are kind of used to anthropologists being around the ED of Tampa General mm -hmm. to you know, take advantage of it and you know if you've got ideas or 
you know, possible topics or things you want to talk about, come come talk to me. It's a great way to, I guess, normalize physicians and medical staff to anthropologists being there. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that, you know, we're never sure way. if it's a, you know, a compliance person or, a, you know, a, a, you know, hospital administrator. No one's ever sure who these people are, but they've kind of gotten used to that mm-hmm. I have them around and what they're doing. And there's no uh, punitive, uh, you know, problem with them being there uh, mm. for watching their work so it's it's i think our whole staff has gotten used to it great that's awesome so thank you again for coming on and talking to us i think this is a really important discussion to have um as you know culture and, and medicine it's a complex topic that anthropologists can uh contribute greatly to so it's important to talk about um so renee do you want to tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about antho alert and possibly listen to previous week's shows yeah, so you can find more about more information about the show on anthroalert.com. We've got a Tumblr site set up. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're even on YouTube, so you can watch. Hey, yeah. So you can watch um, the the video of the podcast. Which you think, well, why would I want to do that? Well, you know, ask yourself why why not? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you can find us on Anthro Alert. We would love to. Uh, talk to you, the listener, to get an idea of what you think about the show. We want to hear what you, what topics you want us to cover. You know, Feedback from the show. Don't be afraid to leave us a comment on Facebook if you choose to interact with us. We'd like to know who our listeners are and and know what uh, what we can do better on Anthro Alert and how we can how we can best make the experience you know uh, optimal for our listeners. I guess. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, uh, throw a retweet, a yeah. like. A yeah. favorite, you know, we appreciate all of those things. Uh, be sure to listen to previous episodes. Again, that's on anthroalert.com. You can also find previous episodes on YouTube, but it's it all starts at anthroalert.com. So we'll see you next week. <laughs>